I'm creating a collection of stories showcasing resilient people who overcome unimaginable hardships while finding beauty in the ups and downs of life. Every moment is significant. This is Push Diaries Podcast. I'm your host, Tess. Episode 6, Ashlyn. Ashlyn's grandmother lived next door to me when I was a kid growing up in Cannon Falls, and I lived only four blocks from Ashlyn's dad's work growing up. Oh, and one more thing. Be sure to check the show notes page at www.pushdiariespodcast.com forward slash episodes forward slash Ashlyn. A-S-H-L-A-N. If any listeners are looking for statistics or resources or support or treatment for postpartum depression, please visit www.postpartumdepression.org. The statistics of postpartum depression on their website list a few things I wanted to share with you. Postpartum depression is a condition that takes many forms and can remain undiagnosed for long periods of time. Since awareness of postpartum depression first arose in the late 1980s, many studies have been conducted on the prevalence, risk factors, and successful treatment rates. Approximately 70 to 80% of women will experience, at a minimum, the baby blues. Many of these women will experience the more severe condition of postpartum depression or a related condition. The reported rate of clinical postpartum depression among new mothers is between 10 to 20%. One in seven women may experience postpartum depression in the year after giving birth, with approximately 4 million live births occurring every year in the United States, this equates to almost 600,000 postpartum depression diagnoses. It's important to understand that these numbers only account for live births. Many women who miscarry or have stillbirths experience postpartum depression symptoms as well. When including women who have miscarried or have had a stillbirth, around 900,000 women suffer from postpartum depression annually in the United States. Postpartum depression is a global issue as well. Across the world, postpartum depression affects tens if not hundreds of millions annually if all countries are accounted for. One study found that postpartum depression rates in Asian countries could be at 65% or more among new mothers. Yeah, so if any of you guys want to check out any more information about it, Again, there's a ton of stuff on the website. So without further ado, here's Ashlyn. My name is Ashlyn Zerrigan. I was born and raised in a little town in Minnesota called Cannon Falls, um, the same town as Tess. That's how I know her. So I grew up in a traditional town um, where everyone knew everybody. And my parents did not have the best relationship growing up. And so my mom as an individual is an amazing woman. My dad as an individual was a great guy. But together, they just, I think they grew up a certain way. And they held on to so much from their past. And so my dad and I had a really rocky relationship. And I put up a wall and a wedge. And we butt heads constantly. And so I carried that with me all throughout my life. 
And that's one reason why I could not wait to get to college. I grew up in the Catholic church and my entire family went to church every single Sunday. It's just what we did. Now that I reflect a little bit back on my faith, uh, even though we went to church every single Sunday, I can't tell you what the priest spoke about or how that went. But I went to church school every Sunday. And when I got older, I went to youth group on Wednesdays, but there was never really a connection. I grew up in my small town. I was ready to graduate my senior year. I was ready to jump ship and go to college at St. Cloud State. So that's what I did. I left. I don't have any close friends go to college with me. I went off to St. Cloud and I met a lot of great, amazing friends, but that's really where I started my relationship with God. I was going through a really hard time my freshman year because of a lot of choices I was making and I just didn't know where to turn to anymore. And that's where my testimony started was in my dorm room my freshman year. And I got on my knees and I asked Jesus to come into my life and pretty much just to save me. So after I graduated um, college, I um, lived in the Twin Cities for a while. And then I ended up moving back home for about a year. And then during that time, my dad was actually diagnosed with a brain tumor called glioblastoma. And we got to spend 10 months with him. And during that time, it was such a pivotal time in our relationship because I saw not only my relationship with my dad transform, but also he accepted Christ and he began a relationship with him. And just to see that and to experience that with him and talk so much about who God is and what he does for us in our life. And just to watch my dad transform into this new person, it meant everything to me. And I even saw my parents' relationship change. And it sucks that it has to be due to cancer. But if that's what God uses in order to change everything, then that's what he has to do. And so, yeah, when my dad passed in, um, in 2009, it's already been 10 years. It's so crazy. I knew that I would one day see him again in heaven. So that was so reassuring after he passed. Um, but what's hard is that we resolved a few things, but not everything was resolved. Um, and so later on down the road, I found out and those things started to come forth later on in my life. And so, but yeah, not everything was resolved with him when he passed. Yeah. Was there anything that sticks out in your mind about his diagnosis in those final months where it was really profound to you? I know you said he accepted Jesus, but what types of things for him changed in the way that he treated himself, your mom, and you kids? Mm -hmm. I think he just, it finally clicked. Like he, he valued his family. I mean, my dad was, is, and was the hardest worker I've ever met. He had a very successful real estate business and um, his family was known for it in our town. And so his baby was this real estate business, but it came at a cost and that was his family. And even though he made every single um, game that my sister and I played in, whether it was volleyball or basketball, softball track, whatever it was, he was always there. But I think that when he finally got sick, it clicked like, I need to make these months count. I only have a little limited amount of time. And so we traveled. He traveled with my mom. He did things that he just wanted to do. It sounds like he really put in more time with family. He kind of 
this priority shifted maybe a little bit. Like you said, you hate to have cancer be the thing that like teaches your family a huge lesson about love, but it's also pretty amazing that, yeah, God was able to shape that horrible situation and turn it into something really beautiful. He worked really hard at helping you guys financially, and that's an important piece too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. it's hard that bad things have to happen for us to kind of realize our reality, right? Like, wow, mm-hmm. wait a minute, family's important, which is interesting because your whole episode is about family and you outstretching your arms to a child that really needed you. Um, so after your dad passed away, I know that like this is something, Ashlyn, that you're probably still reflecting on to this day and one that you won't ever stop reflecting on because it's such a big part of your life. Yeah. So I graduated college in, in 2007 and my dad passed in 09. And between those those two years, I was in a serious relationship. And then it ended right before my dad passed. And so I went off the market, so to say, for a long period of time. And I worked for a small nonprofit in the Twin Cities. And my coworkers one day were like, come on, you just need to get back in the ring. Like, no, I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> and so one day, one day I showed up at work and um, I had a match account set up. And I'm just like, well, you guys wasted your money. Like, I'm not doing this. Crazy people do this. And so finally, after some late nights and some really fun jokes and things like that, I decided to give it a whirl. Lo and behold, I think it was, I don't know, maybe five or six months after I joined, I met Matt. And so that was in the spring of 2010. So really not that long after my dad passed. Um, and we just hit it off right away. We, we fell in love instantly. Um, he proposed shortly after we dated. I think we only dated about four and a half months. <laughs> so, yeah, like I probably think some people were crazy if they did that. But we knew right away. And I know that's all that matters. Yeah, we were engaged um, that fall, and then we were married that following summer. You just knew that he was a good man. Like, he came from a good family. And although your faith as individuals wasn't completely figured out at the time, you as a couple, right, really wanted to put God first, but you just didn't know exactly how. Right. Absolutely. We knew that we had that um, fundamental foundation and Matt grew up in a different um, religion than I did, but that didn't matter. We had the same, we had the same, um, I guess you could say root system and a belief system. And so we talked about that all the time and, you know, what do we want our family to look like and what do we want our, our kids to learn and live? And, you know, everything came back to Jesus right after we got married. Um, Things just started evolving and we tried different churches out and luckily we landed at a really nice church um, in the first town that we lived in. Getting pregnant with Autumn, you said you had like a perfect pregnancy, something most women would like die for, like, oh, I would love to not have all the sickness and the discomfort and your body just was made to create a human, I guess it sounds like. Yeah, it really was. Um, so shortly after we got married, we didn't plan to get pregnant right away, but we did. We got pregnant about four months, I think, after we got married and, um, had autumn that following summer, but my pregnancy was amazing. It, I never got sick. I never, I never felt like I, I was limited to certain things. And so everything was textbook. It was awesome. And then I had autumn that following summer and, the minute I had her, everything changed. 
I have been around kids my whole life. I have numerous nieces and nephews. I became an aunt when I was two because um, I have older siblings. And so, and I've nannied, I've, yeah. I've been around kids my whole life. So anyways, after I had Autumn, it all changed. It's like, it did not matter what I knew when you have this baby yourself, everything's out the window. And so there was struggles from the start. Autumn had a really hard time nursing and I associated that, that I was a bad mom. It was my fault. And so that just started a really long whirlwind of postpartum depression. And I kept thinking that all moms experience the blues and I just kept fighting them and fighting them. And at that time, actually, Matt's parents were building a house not far from our house. And so they lived with us while their house was being built. And so I had this newborn baby and I had in-laws living with me and I went through postpartum where it didn't affect me and the baby. It affected everybody else. I pushed everyone away. But looking back, I don't know if anybody ever knew how sick I was because I secluded myself in autumn up in our room. Like yeah. after supper, I would go up with her and I would just hide out. And there were days when I would look in the mirror and just be like, who are you? I literally could not recognize myself in the mirror. And I still remember doing that sometimes. Um, but it was probably five or six months and I started subbing for our schools because I, I had to get out of the house. I, I just kept thinking I need to do something. I need to do something, but I wasn't investing in myself. And sure. so that, that February after I had autumn, I was at the end of my rope and I remember driving back home after school and pulling up to our mailbox to grab the mail. And I looked at my phone and I'm like, I have to go to therapy. I need to talk to somebody about this because my marriage is struggling so much right now. And Matt doesn't know what to do. Nobody knows what, what to do. So I set up my first appointment with my therapist and that became a two and a half year journey with her. And that was the best choice I've ever made for myself. Yeah. What would you say to people, Ashlyn, that are going through postpartum? Every pregnancy is different. I think the first thing I would say is, put no expectations on yourself because you just don't know. You just don't know what this baby will be like. You don't know how your birth will be. Don't go into a birth having this glorious plan. Like I'm going to give birth naturally, you know, all these things happen, unfortunately, and you just don't have control. And that just goes to show who really is in control. And that's another piece of advice is that's when you need to cling to God at your most is when you have this little one in front of you and you're like, okay, God, what do I do? Yes. You cling to that relationship with Jesus like no other because you need him more than anything. Absolutely. I love that. What a beautiful thing, too. You had made a comment about how adoption is truly from brokenness. Um, if none of us were broken, we would be able to be the parents that we want to be. Mm -hmm. Even the doctor that you had said you were talking to, the postpartum yeah. was way more common than you had realized. And even just your hormonal mm -hmm. changes, your body changes, all the while feeling like you weren't a good enough mom because you couldn't breastfeed. Well, obviously, there are other ways for little Autumn to get nutrients. But yeah, just not um, internalizing those, those negative things. In negative mm -hmm. situations, even if your birth doesn't go right, faith is so important. Um, but then also, what else? Like support systems involving your family. Do you wish you would have told someone sooner something was wrong? Yeah. 
Until you were looking at yourself in the mirror, right? Going, gosh, there's a problem here. Right. And that's the thing is like, I come from six siblings and nobody really knew. And I mean, if they did know, I come from a family where we're not the best at talking about what's on our mind. I love my mom, but she tends to brush everything underneath the rug. I mean, that's how she was raised. And that's a generation that I swear all of them do it. And so it never got brought up. And so I was just dying, literally dying inside. Yeah. Feeling inadequate, right? Yep inadequate and not a good enough mom. And I I lost weight because I was so, I was trying so hard to nurse and I had depression and I'm a, a tall person and I'm thin. And so it, it got pretty gross for, I shouldn't say gross, but it got pretty ugly for a while and it was suffering in all aspects of my life. Yeah. Wow. So that day that you finally made that call, um, what did you start to see? Yeah. In your marriage and with Matt and just you as a mom and you as an individual who saw yourself as a person who was adequate, who is more than capable of showing yourself love and your kids love. Mm -hmm. So it took a few months of therapy for me to really realize that it wasn't just postpartum depression I was dealing with, but it was also my dad and I's relationship. And like I just said, I went into therapy for one thing and I ended up working a majority of the therapy about my dad. Yeah. And for me, that was just so eye opening. And also another thing that my therapist really tried to drive into me, she's like, you need to stop and realize all of the changes that have went on in these past two years. I mean, you ended a serious relationship, your dad passed, you had, you met Matt, you know, you dated, you got engaged super quickly, you got married, you got a house, moved have you ever thought about all those things? Those are major life things. And yeah. I remember, I think I said, but it's okay. Everyone does it. And she goes, but that doesn't make it okay. It right. affects you. And you need to give yourself grace and allow that to really, you need to feel those things. And I wasn't, I wasn't feeling them at all. Yeah. It's hard. It's hard to like pull out what's negative about how we're feeling and setting it in the room with us and letting go of it and kind of letting it be in the room with you, accepting the feelings that it causes, letting them pass through you and then being able to leave that room and go on about your life. And you can always come back to this room, right? When you need to face those feelings of anger or sadness or loss. Yeah, if you're just feeling like you are insignificant, but truly when we look at what we want for our babies, we want them more than anything to feel accepted and loved. Mm-hmm. Okay, I wanted to take a quick moment to tell you about Beauty Counter. They make amazing lotions and balms that are safe for the whole family, even new babies. I love this stuff because the products are naturally derived and safe for the little ones. The sunflower oil nourishes deep in the skin while forming a protective barrier. The shea butter and jojoba seed oil easily absorbs into the skin, providing immediate lasting hydration. My two favorite products are the Baby Daily Protective Balm or the Adaptive Moisture Lotion. It feels so great on my dry face during the winter. I love that these products use biomimic technology that harnesses the unique life-giving properties of plants to match the skin, giving it precisely what it needs and nothing more. 
If you are interested in learning more about Beauty Counter, contact my consultant Linda. You can go to beautycounter.com forward slash Linda Gallagher, G-A-L-L-A-G-H-E-R. Let's get back to the show. So then I know after all that with Autumn, did you worry about getting pregnant again with Sienna? But yeah, talk about the miscarriage and then you also thinking like, man, I, I think adoption might be in for us. Yeah. So Autumn was about 10 months old and we were on vacation in in June. And I think because of the depression and the therapy and everything going on, I still probably wasn't in the right mind frame. And I remember standing in the ocean with Matt and it just hit me like a ton of bricks. And I looked at him and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm pregnant. And sure enough, right when we got home, I took a test and I was pregnant. Um, and the next day I ended up miscarrying and I was about 11 weeks, 11 or 12 weeks. And I was just shocked, but everything happened so quickly that I didn't really process it. Um, but my therapist worked through it with me. Um, and I think it affected me probably within the past few years recently, because I think about this child more and more like, wow, I really didn't process it at all. Like, I didn't even think, was it a boy? Was it a girl? Um, yeah. yeah, it just, it's been hitting me differently over the past few years. Um, but that's, but that's how trauma works and how life works. Things will come up at different times. But then that following fall, we got pregnant with Sienna. And my therapist really worked that with that through me is she, she helped me, she helped me envision what kind of a pregnancy I wanted. More importantly, what kind of a birth I wanted and what my mental state would be like after I gave birth. And I remember having a little bit of blues with Sienna, but nothing nearly um, like how it was with Autumn. And we continued therapy um, for about a year after Sienna was born. But it was, it was a few months after Sienna was born. I knew I've always known I wanted a larger family. I think I've always said like four, Matt and I said four. But after talking with my doctor, he just said, you know, you are one of the very few women out there who just your hormones do not do well after birth. And he was talking with that. and And I can't think of what I don't even know if there's a name out there for what these women go through. Maybe it's just postpartum depression, but I think it hits me every single time. And so that's when adoption really started to kick in for me. When I was younger, the idea of adoption was always there. I, I think that's where the seed got planted. But when Sienna was just a few months old, it's when it really hit home. And I brought it up with Matt and he was not on board at all. He was completely against it because he wanted biology, his DNA. And I was heartbroken. I was like, this is really is not going to happen for us. I don't know if we're going to have any more kids. It might just be two. And so I prayed through that. I prayed through that for about two years and I would leave books out every now and then because I would buy the books and I would leave them out. But I didn't want to push him about it. I knew if he was going to come to adoption, it was going to be through the Lord. And fast forward about two years later, he came to me and he just said, you know, I've really been thinking about it lately. It's been in my mind and I want to explore this with you. And I was blown away. I was like, thank you, God. This was all you. Yeah. 
I guess also leaving books around the house and not giving up on your dream too. I'm amazed that you said you were kind of quiet about it for like months, if not a year. And then finally he just came around. It was like God was just growing that in him. Right. And that's something that after we adopted Isaiah, I've talked with a lot of adoptive parents and they're just like, how did you not give up? Because our journey was a very rare one. And I just said, because let me tell you, if you feel convicted and you know that God has given you something and he planted that seed in your heart, you will fight tooth and nail until the end to see his dream be, I don't even know the word, just yeah. for it to come out. Because, yeah. and I knew, and I knew even with all the failed matches, like, no, we are meant to have a child and whatever, I'll keep paying the money. I'll keep going on the airplanes, whatever it is, you know, thy will be done. And he showed us. Yeah. I just feel like sometimes when I'm on social media platforms for adoption, I always just have to be so careful with what I say. And so going back to foster care, we knew that our hearts couldn't deal with what foster care was like, because in foster care, you should not be in foster care wanting to adopt a child. Foster care is about reunification. It's about reunifying that child with their biological birth parents or family. Um, And I think a lot of people, hearts are in the right place, but a lot of people go into foster care for the wrong reasons. And I knew that if a child through foster care was going to come into our home, it would rip me up inside if I had to give that baby back. And that's something that I am still wrestling with because I think foster care and adoption in general has so much to do and talk about um, the gospel and all of that, because all of us were adopted into Jesus's family in one way or another. But adoption, God did not mean for adoption to happen. It's out of brokenness. And so I just wasn't ready to take on that type of brokenness into foster care. So that's why we did um, domestic. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think I would be in the same boat as you. It, foster care would be really difficult. So now what is, what is your little boy's name again? His name is Isaiah. Isaiah. Oh, okay. So how, tell us about that. Was he like, one of the first little boys you heard about had you kind of talked no. with your yeah talk about how you guys got to it because maybe it wasn't straightforward yeah no our journey is not typical let me tell you that um so our home study was done and then we became a waiting family and going back to a profile book so you create a little book that your agency sends out to other agencies so our agency in minnesota works with other agencies in the United States. So they send out your profile book to those agencies, to other adoptive moms. So we were active and we were on a list. And so what happens is there are situations that you are presented with about a birth mom or a birth dad. And if you feel like that situation is something that you could see yourself with, you say, yes, please show them our book. Sometimes you hear back, you weren't chosen. Sometimes you hear yes, like they maybe pick three or four or whatever, but it just depends upon your agency. So our, I think our home study was, we, we became an active family in like mid October, end of October. And we matched with our first mom right before Christmas. And this was two years ago. Okay. Um, 
And so we matched. We were super excited. Everything was awesome. We talked with her probably every other day. And then all of a sudden, it fell apart Mm. out of the blue. And I was devastated, absolutely devastated. And this is something that everyone talks about in the adoption world is, you know, some people have failed matches that can happen. You just don't think it's going to happen to you until it happens. And I think I was grieving my relationship with that birth mom more than the, than the child, but something, something that I wish that somebody would have told me before I started this process was this child will always be the birth mother's child until she signs away her rights. This child is not yours. As adoptive parents, you want this child so bad. And that's okay because you know that your heart's in the right place. But you also have to think about their birth family first and foremost. Right. Right. So then what was, what was, so, so that was dropped. Your, your, your world was kind of crushed. Did did you guys get any feedback about why it didn't work out that first? Yeah, we, yep. And so that's another thing is, um, I am still protective of all these moms that we have been in contact with and so I don't always go into deep detail about their story but basically um she told other people one thing and told us another yeah and then she got wrapped up in that and then she backed out and didn't return phone calls and things like that but you know these women I can't imagine as a mom who has two children they are going through some really really tough stuff so kidding just yeah. having a lot of grace for them through all of oh, this. for and, sure. Yeah. And yeah. Ashlyn, I think your story is amazing again, because you came from a good family, right? I mean, in perspective to a lot of other people and, you know, I've been through some awful health things, but in perspective, there are, are there's always someone who has it harder than I do. I mean, truly. So it's very humbling to be in that position. I'm sure looking to find a baby that you can love, but then also, yeah, just being understanding and like you said, giving grace to these women that don't have any real support and stability. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, yeah. so how many how many mamas did you talk to then before meeting Isaiah or or hearing about Isaiah and his mom? So we, we went through two more failed adoptions. Um, after that, it was a really so s- slow spring. A really slow summer. We did meet a couple of moms here in Minnesota and they ended up choosing other families. Um, that was hard, but because of our first failed match, it just, it kind of rolled off our back a little bit easier. And then in the fall, that next fall, um, we had our second failed adoption. That one was in um, Mississippi. Um, and that time we actually flew to Mississippi and that was a big, big whirlwind. <laughs> yeah. And who went? Who went, Ashlyn? Your, your whole family or just you and Matt? No, just Matt and I. We um, we, we, we got on the plane. And, and, and that's the thing about adoption is that sometimes you just literally have to pick up your bags and you have to go. And I remember calling my good friend here in town and just being like, he's here. We got to go and just dropping the girls off. And I was scared out of my mind because I didn't know if it was going to work out. I had no clue, but I was saying goodbye to Autumn and Sienna, just like, 
no clue if mom's going to come back with a baby, if mom and dad are going to come back with a baby, but just trusting that. But honestly, as soon as we hit the ground in Mississippi, it fell apart. And we were only there for two days. And it, you know, but what is so funny about that is that we met some really amazing people when we were there, the social worker and, and the lawyer that were there, we're still friends with them. And so oh. it has been so fun to talk with them, especially since Isaiah's here and let them know, like, you know, we have our son now. And so just to have those relationships. So yeah, that was our second one. And then our third and final failed match that was the hardest. Um, we matched with the, we matched with the birth mom in um, Atlanta and she was really young, had a few kids and, um, we met her once we, we flew down because it was really important to her to meet us. And so we spent a weekend with her and her kids. And then, um, about a month later, she had her baby boy and she wanted us to come and we came and um, we were in the hospital and we held him. And um, unfortunately, some family stuff came up regarding her mom. And it was so awful to watch. Mm. And it, it, it turned into more of me and Matt being there for her and just navigating the toxic relationships in her life. And I knew, I knew in my gut right away, I'm like, I'm not going home with this baby. Yeah. Yep. I'm not going home with him, but I am going to be here for her and help yeah. her with it. Yeah. And that was the hardest one because she just, she is such an amazing woman, but it's the hardest part. Like I said, was watching family members destroy her life and not yeah. want what was better for her. And so, um, yep, that was the third, that was the third one. Um, and I, I'm going to be honest after that, my heart just kind of turned off. I was like, God, I don't know why you're doing this. Yeah. I don't know why we are going through this right now. Like, is this even in, in the cards anymore for us? And, uh, in the adoption community, people tell you, yeah, you're going to pay a lot of money, but expect to pay <laughs> 10 times more than that. It's just, yeah. it's really insane. And so we had the finances piece and then just your heart breaking. And I looked at Matt and I'm like, no idea, no idea if yeah. we should be doing this anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I bet that was very overwhelming. And then, you know, me, I'm trying to see the positives. I'm like, thank God that girl had you guys though in such a hard time in her life when her support system was not giving her yeah. any, you know, positive regard for what she was going through. So I admire you for, for being here, her for being there for her, even though you knew that it was kind of the end of the road for, for you guys. Um, yeah. So then, so then what about Isaiah? How did you and his mom, you know, and I want you to share whatever you're comfortable with. And if you have to protect whatever, please do that. Um, but I, yeah, I just want to hear about how you guys kind of yeah. all got tied together and what that looked like. So, so I think about a month passed and then, um, second week of December, we got Isaiah's birth mom's, um, profile. And we said, yep, this looks good. Show our book. And then usually you find out with our agency, usually we found out within a week if she has chosen you or not. And I didn't hear anything. And so I was like, huh. And I'm kind of a 
and I mean, when you're in the adoption world, you just always want to know you're checking your email like 50 times a day. It's yeah. just every time you hear a ding, you're like, oh my gosh, what? <laughs> yeah. It's a little, it's a little bit of insanity, but it is what it is. Yeah. Um, and so I didn't hear anything. And so I just reached out to um, a woman at the agency who I got to know really well. And I didn't hear from her because I assumed that the office closed. And then she called me the next day and it was a Saturday. And I remember being like, why is she calling me? And I picked up and I'm like, hey, Linda. And she's like, hey, um, I just wanted to let you know the reason why we haven't, we haven't gotten back to you is because she had a baby today. And he was not due until like the second week in January. So he was just three weeks early. And I'm like, oh, oh my, my gosh, goodness. that was not what you expected to hear then. No, no. And it's, and it's right before Christmas. So the craziness is all around us, you yeah. know, Christmas and what it is. And I'm like, oh my gosh, is she okay? Is, is he okay? Yeah. She's like, yep, he is actually, he's great. He was, he's was almost eight pounds. Um, wow. She, so yeah, actually pretty healthy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but I'm like, I don't know if those dates were right, but whatever. Yeah. Um, and so she goes, here's the thing, though, Ashlyn. She goes, I'm not going right now. And so this was on December 22nd. So that's when he was born. And our social worker was like, it's right before Christmas. We're going to wait a couple days be before we fly down to Texas. Because that's where Isaiah was born and was in Houston. And... Um, so they waited. And so we had Christmas. We went to my mom's for Christmas. And I remember when we were at my mom's on Christmas, the social worker called and I'm like, what is going on? And, and so she was at the hospital with Isaiah's birth mom. And she's like, do you have a few minutes? She wants to talk to you. And I'm like, whatever. And so I just, I said, Matt, we're going to the basement. So I'm like, mom, watch the girls. And I have a huge family. So there's like 45 yeah. people in the house. So, yeah. so we were, downstairs in my mom's room and talking to her for like a half an hour is this and then the she, first time yes that you ever talked to her holy cow so, yeah, so Isaiah, what does that look like yeah exactly so Isaiah's here but in the back of my mind because of everything that had happened I'm just like this yeah. isn't gonna work out you know she's gonna get through Christmas and just be like nope it, this is I'm not gonna place what you know it's just not gonna work out and so um, we talked to her and then I think later on that night, our social worker called again and she said, cause she wants to talk to you tomorrow. I'm like, okay. And I said, just a heads up. We are traveling this upcoming weekend for Christmas. Like we were planning to go to Madison to Matt's family to celebrate Christmas. And she's like, well, I don't know where she's going to be at with things. And so we were just in limbo. We had no idea. So basically we ended up going home after Christmas. So we were home on the 26th thinking no big deal. Then all of a sudden on the 26th, we get the call and says, she wants you guys. She wants you guys here in Houston and um, you're it. Wow. And I just kept saying, are you sure? Are you sure? Are you sure? Yeah. Like I do not want to get on a plane. Long road. Yeah. 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 And I didn't so much. I didn't want to spend money again on plane tickets and, and do all the things that you have to do just to turn around and come home. But um, Matt was like, Ash, how, how are we ever going to know? And I'm like, you're right. You're right. But we, we had to figure out so many logistics. So basically to make a long story short on the 27th, I got on a plane and flew to Houston 
Matt took the girls, drove them to Madison to be with family. And then he flew out of Madison to, to fly to Houston. So I was in Houston for three days before he came. And, um, yeah, that was crazy, wow. but yeah. So you got down there first. Did you get to meet Isaiah before he got there then? So she was already, they were released from the hospital and she went to, uh, she went to a hotel with Isaiah and our social worker. Um, and that made me really nervous because I didn't know, I didn't know what to expect when I got there. If papers were going to be signed, I just didn't know what that looked like. Everything was new chart uncharted territory. And so I got in the hotel and I was waiting for the social worker and all of a sudden she came out and we were just talking and she just looked at me and she goes, she signed the papers and I, I still get emotional right now thinking about it. I'm like, what? She signed the papers. And she's like, she signed the papers. I'm like, oh my God. And I just remember almost hitting the floor. Like we have a son. Yeah. It's just crazy. Wow. So how long from the time you guys started with this agency till that moment, the papers were signed, it was like a year and a half or what was it? Well, I might be tracking wrong. No, you're right. The, it was a year because we had to, so after a year, your home study expires. And so we had to do a whole new oh. home study, but not as much of a process. So honestly, from start to finish, it was a little over a year. Okay. And did you yep. have the same social worker through that whole time? Like when you guys had to redo your yearly, was that with the same social worker or did you have yep. new people on your team? Yep, because your social worker has to be in your state because it's state specific. So that was her. But we ended up the first um, match that we had was with it was with a separate agency. And that one was in Iowa. And then because of some things that happened, we just we didn't feel comfortable with them anymore. So we switched agencies and we only wanted to be shown with an agency out of Utah. So those were the ones that we showed our books to. Um, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. You just kind of short, maybe made your, um, the area in which you were looking for a kid a little bit small, smaller, was it smaller or just more specific or what was the reason for, um, you kind of zeroing um, in? They had, it was a larger agency, but their success rate for adoptions was much stronger than other agencies that we looked at. And for us, it was really important that these, um, all the birth moms were treated very well. We wanted the birth moms to have first and foremost respect just because in the adoption world, birth moms are not valued enough. And that is where my heart is a lot. And I just, I absolutely love Isaiah's birth mom. Um, she has been through hell and back. She has had her life. Oh, it's yeah. 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 She is just one of the most resilient people I've ever met. Yeah. And without oversharing, can you go into any of that as far as what, the, what types of things she's dealt with and why she trusted you, Ashlyn, because I'm sure, I mean, this was the right fit because of the woman you are and what you've been through. Right. And I think, you know, Isaiah's birth mom has always said since day one, when we talked to her over Christmas on the phone, she goes, when I got on the phone with you and Matt, I just knew I could just tell there was something in your voice. Cause she had also talked to other adoptive families on the phone. I think there was maybe a handful, four or five other families that were a possibility. 
but she has always said there was something in your voice and something that just stuck out to me that said, you know, these are my son's parents. Mm -hmm. Um, and her and I have always had such a connection that we haven't been able to describe anytime that we Skype or talk or text. We, it's just so weird. We come from completely opposite backgrounds, but we, we just get each other. Yeah. On a deep, deep level. Did, yeah. Does she have um, any belief in faith or did she feel like there was some kind of divine, like, intervention getting you guys all connected or um, um is there like a deep understanding between you guys yeah what what does that look like if that's not so, a weird question no I totally I, I, I totally see where you're coming from so she like I said she grew up with in a life where I don't think any of us will ever be able to understand the amount of trauma um she grew up in foster care um, always knew of her biological parents, but um, her aunt raised her off and on throughout her life. But um, she she's went through a lot. And honestly, because of all of this, I don't blame her She because she just didn't understand how all of these horrible things could happen to her. Yeah. Faith has just been really hard. Yeah. Um, and one thing for her that I remember her saying is that when she looked at a lot of the books for the adoptive families, a lot of people talked about religion and the, the church and church church um, specific and things like that. And we didn't want to go that route in our profile book. We just talked about Jesus and the type of person that he was. And she said that that means a lot to her. She doesn't want religion shoved down her son's throat um, and so when she pretty much interviewed us, when we talked to her on the phone, um, I talked about that a lot. Cause I said, I'm not going to shy away from it. Like our faith is the most important thing in our life. Yeah. And you know, whoever our son or daughter will be, they will be raised in a church, but it's not the church building itself. Um, and so I was very upfront with that and explained that to her. And, and she has said, she was like, your answer was so different than everyone else's. Everyone else could just talk about being a certain religion and yeah, just yeah. abiding by rules. And in a very conservative way. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Okay. So, so the day you got there and got to the hotel, you found out that she signed the papers. Yep. Found out that she signed the papers. And for me, okay, so here's another piece is in the adoption world, um, you can have a closed adoption or an open adoption. And an open adoption is something that's always been important for Matt and I. We want to have a relationship with the birth parents. And it wasn't always like that. When we were matched with one of the moms, she didn't want anything to do with the, and I get that. Sometimes you just, you got to cut that cord and you just don't want that. But for us, that was heartbreaking because we always have wanted our child to know where they have came from. Like there there's God placed them in their life. Like you, and I've always told Isaiah's mom this, you are his biological mom for a reason. I can never take that away from you. Yeah. Like you will have a piece of him that I will never have. Yeah. And, and so um, we wanted that. And so when, when we got to the, when I got to the hotel, I didn't know if she wanted to see me because we were told 
on the phone from our social worker, you know, she's just not really sure. And I just remember being like, Oh, please, please, please. Like, we just want to meet you. But yeah. And so I got to the hotel and I had to sign some paperwork. And so about an hour had passed. And then after I signed all my papers, the social worker said, she does really want to meet you. So we're going to go and we're going to see her and we're going to meet her son um, or your son. And I just, rem- I mean, I want to throw up. So yeah, like, I know um, I'm like nervous for you. I'm like sweating over here. I'm like, holy yeah. cow, you did all of this by yourself without Matt. Like that had to yeah. have been, yeah, very overwhelming for you to process and just go through with like, what a yeah. big moment. Well, and my phone was on silent because I'm signing these papers with a notary and doing all the legal things that you're supposed to do. And I'm about to go into this hotel room with a woman I've never met, but it's our son. But yet I don't feel like it's our son. And so I go into the hotel room and I meet her. And of course, she is just, it's like the worst day of her life. And so immediately me, I'm like, I'm sobbing because she's crying. And yet I can't imagine being in, I can't, I can't ever imagine being in the shoes that she was in. And so she leads me to the room right off the living room where Isaiah was. And he was, he was just sleeping right on the bed. And I'm just like, Oh my gosh, look at this child. Like I I can't, I cannot even put into words what that moment was like. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. God was definitely in that hotel room. That is for sure. Yeah. What a beautiful. So did you hug her right away when you went in there? Did she say, did, did you feel any more sense of calm and knowing truly that, that this was good and she was no longer nervous or what assured you about that Um, moment? Honestly, I don't think I felt assured or okay about that moment until like two days later when Matt got there because I, I felt awful. I felt absolutely awful because she was in so much pain um, emotionally. And we spent about, uh, I'd say about two hours together. And then it was finally time for me to leave. And that was the hardest thing is when ugh, I'm going to get emotional when a woman places a child into your arms and you're like, I'm leaving with this child that I did not give birth to. And I felt like I was stealing a baby. Yeah. And then it's like, you have this baby. I had Isaiah in my arms and I'm looking at her and I've already known that I've fallen in love with this woman because she gave birth to my son. Yeah. And I just looked at her and I'm just like, well, we'll talk again we'll talk again. And she's like, okay. And she just had to shut the door because hello, she's yeah. got to shut the door. And so I went to my hotel room and I just remember the first thing I did was, was I laid Isaiah down on the bed in front of me and I just bawled. I just bawled. Oh my and gosh. And, and did your social worker come with you in those first she moments? Did, or? She did. She stayed, she stayed an extra day to make sure I was okay. And that, and, and obviously that Isaiah's birth mom was okay. And then that was the thing too. I was like, you're not leaving. Are you? I'm like, you have to make sure she's okay. Yeah. Because, because of how everything is, it's recommended that we didn't talk within a day, obviously for emotions and everything to settle. But I just told her, I said, you can't go. Your priority is her. 
I will be fine. Check in on me, but yeah, Matt's on his way. Like we'll be fine. Yeah. Yeah. And so Matt and I and the girls FaceTimed and that was super fun. Like for, for the girls to see Isaiah for the first time. And they're like, they just kept saying, mom, is he, he's ours. Like that's our brother. And I'm like, yep, this is your brother. It was, it was pretty sweet. Yeah. It's like they were waiting for permission to really, yeah, accept and love him, even though you were far away. So you laid him on, you laid him on your bed and you just cried. Was that a feeling because you felt like you had stolen him? Did, how long did that peace take to come over you or where God really spoke to you, Ashlyn, and said, (laughs) you're his mommy now? So, um, it was probably, that was probably late in the afternoon, like right around five o'clock. And then. I don't think I ate the rest of that day just because it was just so many emotions. But I remember going to bed that night because with adoption, I have heard stories of parents not being able to attach to their adoptive child. And the attachment is just such a big thing. And so right before I went to bed that night, I prayed to God and I just said, God, I just pray that you let me look at this child like he is our child, like I gave birth to him. And I have an unending love for him, just like I have for Autumn and Sienna. And I prayed that prayer and Matt, Matt and I talked about it. And I thank God that night I woke up the next morning and it was like, it was like he was my child. Like I gave birth to him and it was just so crazy. God honestly answered my prayer. It was, it was just, it was unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. Did you ever know your heart could hold so much love for so many different people? No, it's just crazy. And that is something that I'm super thankful that God gives us. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So you stayed there and Matt met you and then you guys all flew home. What did that all look like? Tell me about Matt's first meeting of the baby in person and your girls and your, your family, your extended family, your mom and Jeff's parents and all of that. Can you talk about that? Yep. Um, so one thing with adoption is that if you go to another state, you have to wait until ICPC clears. And unfortunately, we adopted at a really bad time. It was right after Christmas, right before New Year's. And so offices are not really open on standard business hours or days. And so our paperwork just got pushed back and pushed back. And so we were gone or I was gone for 14 days. And that was the hardest thing. Wow. Oh my gosh. So you ended up having to be there two weeks. Hey everyone. I wanted to tell you about Patreon. Patreon gives creators of all kinds of tools needed to acquire, manage, and energize their paying patrons. Support Push Diaries by subscribing to our Patreon page where you'll get exclusive content not found anywhere else. We just started a special series where me and my fiancé Tyler talk about life and how we push forward together. Just go to patreon.com, create a profile, and become a patron of Push Diaries Podcast and thousands of others. Thanks, and we'll talk again soon. Because you weren't even allowed to leave the state with Isaiah is what you're saying. 
Oh right. Gosh. You couldn't even leave Texas because what happened is, is that our paperwork was in Texas and then it had to be sent. It had to be sent to Utah because our agency that we matched with, they were out of Utah. So I had to go to Utah wow. and then I had to go to Minnesota. So it was like this big three-way thing that was just waiting. And Texas, I love the state of Texas, but they are so stinking slow when it comes to paperwork. <laughs> yeah. So slow. And so we just waited and waited and waited. But the, the, Beauty in this is that one of my best friends from college, her and her husband live in North Texas. And so we got to see them and stay by them in the same town. And so we were able to be around friends. And that was the greatest thing. And actually, um, my sister-in-law, her sister, we've gotten to know pretty well. They opened their home to us in Houston and they let us stay with her and her family. And they were just, they loved on us and they loved on Isaiah so much. So for, for two people to really take our family with open arms, instead of being stuck in a hotel room by ourselves, oh. not having anyone, it was huge. Yes. Especially around Christmas and just going through what you were going through, like to have a friend close by who loves you, loves Matt, loves this new baby that you're now a mother to. What a gift to, you know, you didn't know how long you were going to be there. What if you had been there even longer? Of course you wouldn't want to be in a hotel. Yeah. And it's so funny because everything that we read about ICPC, everyone else's was really quick, but our journey has never been typical clearly. And so we're like, well, this isn't surprising at all. So the, the 14 days away, it was really hard on the girls. That was something that we had to navigate a long time when we got home because the girls, if we ever went anywhere, they are, especially our oldest autumn, she would say, are you coming back? You're not going to be gone for more than a night. And so we, we had to do a lot of work with her in regards to that. And so, um, that was tough. Yeah. Yeah. So then, so then did they all come down? Did, did your girls not meet Isaiah in person until you were back in Minnesota? Yep. And so Matt's parents um, ended up watching Autumn and Sienna for a majority of the time. And so when we got back, um, yep, they met us along with Matt's mom and the girls were just so excited to meet their brother. They, they loved it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and what, yeah. What, what did they say or what did you see? Can you just explain like exactly what happened when Matt saw Isaiah? I mean, did you guys have a prayer together, kind of talk about those initial meetings. I mean, yeah, when, so we were obviously him and I were in the hotel. Um, when Matt first saw him, he came in and I just remember being so happy to see Matt, like, Oh my gosh, these has just been the longest three days without him. And we just embraced and hugged and obviously started crying right away. And then he looked at Isaiah and he just took Isaiah and he just laid him on his chest. And that's pretty much what we did for the next five days is he just had Isaiah sleep on his chest and have that bonding time. And yeah. 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 So how has the attachment been for your family, Ashlyn? It has been seamless and it is, it has been so great. It honestly, since I prayed that prayer in that bed in that hotel room, God answered our prayers right there and then. And I'm just, I'm so thankful that we have that bond and that attachment with Isaiah. Um, yeah. I look at him like he is my own biological child that I gave birth to. Yeah. And, you know, uh, when we talk about the innocence of children, how accepting they are, 
um, I see it all the time with my wheelchair. You know, I'll have adults that are like kind of weird about it, you know, and then I'll meet like a four-year-old kid at my church or out on the sidewalk and they're just like, hey, like, what's up? You know, what is that that you're sitting in or why don't you walk? You know, and it's just like, gosh, I love their honesty. Um, yep. did, did your girls say anything to you that sticks out in your head as far as like, you know, I know you said, is he, is he ours? What did you mm-hmm. see? I mean, cause they had been through a whole year and a half too of, you know, like you said, a mama's going to go now and I'm going to see if we're going to get a, a sibling, but I'm not sure if I'm going to come back or not with one. How mm-hmm. have you seen their love open up and change? Like the innocence of a child's love, just really mm-hmm. engulfing their uh, new brother. We, we are just, and we say this a lot, we are so proud of the girls. They have just taken on, we didn't know how they were going to, you know, Autumn was only, let's see, how old was Autumn? Autumn was six at the time, Sienna was four, and they took him in with open arms just like we did. They never questioned anything. Um, Isaiah is Hispanic and black, and that is a whole nother thing that we are going to have to navigate the rest of our lives. And I was just kind of waiting for it, waiting for the questions to arise when they first saw him Yeah, in person, but it never came up. Wow. And it's, it's kind of been like that. Matt and I are very intentional about having conversations about that and about And the girls just, it's, it, it is what it is. And yeah. that's the beauty. That's the beauty of it. That's what I love about children. Like you were saying, they just don't see that piece and I wish no. our world could be like that be more like children I know who to thunk you know the quote from the mouth of babes but it's so true I mean if we could all be more accepting that way it would be pretty pretty inspiring and pretty amazing life-changing really um when you talk about race and having that mm-hmm. be an intentional conversation I think that's really important Mm-hmm. And, and I'm sure it'll be more important to have those conversations with him as he gets older. How will you balance that? What has your um, agency, friends, family, or other social work friends that you have had helped? Like, how do you navigate that? We are different um, yeah. as far as the race goes and the upbringing goes. Do you, do you know? And maybe it's not hard yet. Maybe this won't be an issue until later, but. Yeah. And, and that's, and that, I think that's it right there is it's not hard yet we have not even begun to experience what it's going to be like. Um, when you're in the process of your home study and things like that, you have to take classes. Um, and we were open in the beginning to any gender and any race. So we knew that there was a possibility of that. And honestly, I wanted a child of a different race. I don't know. I feel like God put that on my heart from the very moment that I started heavily thinking about adoption and I'm so happy that he did because there were some situations where we were matched with a white child. And if that's how it would have worked out, that's how it would have worked out. But in my heart, I knew it might sound crazy, but I just knew that I was meant to be a mom to a child that was not white. Yeah. And yeah. And so we we're doing the best that we can. We have so much to learn. Um, white privilege is a big thing that people don't talk about mm-hmm. and we need to do a better job. I will only know what it's like to be a white woman. Matt will only know what it's like to be a white male. And we have more privileges in this country than anybody else. And I think 
we're trying to take our blinders off and just educate us and be around the Hispanic community and the African-American community as much as we can, because Isaiah is going to have a lifelong struggle as a lot of transracial adoptives do. He is going to know himself belonging to a white family. He is not white. And so a lot of times adoptees struggle with, I'm raised white, but I am black or mm-hmm. I am I'm Asian, whatever it is. And so I don't want him to ever have to look back and say, I wish my mom and dad would have changed this. I wish they would have done more of this. Right. Um, I don't want to have that regret. And so we're trying the best that we can right now to have those mentors in our life. And we're trying to find mentors for Isaiah. And we trust that God will show us who these people are. Yes. Yes. And yeah, I mean, just people hearing your story and seeing you out in the community, you're, you're showing everyone a bigger love than any assumption anyone can make about anything, right? I mean, the gift you guys have given this baby is unmatched. I mean, and he's going to bless you guys probably just as much as, you know, you've blessed him. And, and I just think adoption is such a beautiful story. Now, as he gets older, what will your relationship with his birth mother look like? Um, I watched Teen Mom in college a lot, and I'm not going to lie. I still watch it. It's like my my fun escape when I need to watch some, you know, TV. But some of the stories Mm -hmm. in there are so amazing. And um, one of the couples in there uh, gave up their first child because they were teen parents. And the families had a really hard time allowing them to share in birthdays and things like that. But I can imagine, though, being the adoptive mother, why that would be so hard and confusing to have consistency Mm -hmm. and want to keep up that. And I don't want to worry you. I know you've thought about all this. It's not any news to you, new news to you. But yeah, how how will you guys balance that? Have you come to an agreement? What does that look like? Um, Well... (laughs) Honestly, our relationship has changed even since we adopted Isaiah. I, I think at first his birth mom was like, you know, we'll talk every so often. But I think as our relationship has evolved, it's just gotten stronger. And, you know, we're many states away. And so there's that piece. Actually, this past summer in June, we went we went back down to Houston and we um, saw Isaiah's birth mom and we met with her for the day. And that was awesome. That was a really great experience. And we also um, spent some time with the, our friends that opened up their house, their home to us. Um, so we just wanted to go back and meet those people. But seeing Isaiah's birth mom this past summer, um, was great. And I thought to myself, you know, is it going to look like this every year? I don't know. I can't navigate if we will see each other every year. I think it's going to be really hard. But I think the thing that Matt and I have agreed on is not to set any expectations because you just don't want to be let down. You don't want to say something's going to happen and it doesn't happen just because. Yeah, it's just yeah. it's just such un it's such a hard road to follow. And yeah, right. And you can't worry yourself sick. I mean, if you worried about every single piece of this, you would drive yourself crazy. I'm sure. Yeah. Um, were there tears shed the day that you guys all saw each other again? I bet the birth mom was so grateful to see you all so he- healthy and happy. 
Yeah. Yep. And there was, there was a lot of tears shed. Um, like I said, she is one of my most favorite people and I just, I, I love her so much. Um, it was, it was hard. It was hard saying goodbye again. Um, cause I don't know when the next time we're, we're going to see her again, but I just, I, I trust God and keep showing up and showing us and helping navigate us through this whole thing because Lord, we all, we all need the grace because yes, we do. It, it's just something that adoption is such a hard thing. You just don't know. So there's much. no yeah. manual and there's you just, I think there's so many feelings involved as an adoptive family and as a birth family, she can't, we can't tell her how to feel. She can't tell us how to feel. And yeah. just so much respect and mutual understanding. Yeah. Wow. And he's yours now for his whole life. Right. I mean, yes, it's, it's official and it is official. Um, once papers are signed, um, it's irrevocable. Um, and that is another reason why we went with Utah is because it's irrevocable once signing. So like Minnesota, for example, has a 10 day window. Oh my gosh. Once yeah. birth parents sign, it's <laughs> every state is different and it's really hard. I've heard absolutely horrible stories of where parents get on day nine, birth parents come back and yeah. they're gone. Oh. Man, I could not even imagine. I I think I would really struggle with what you were saying too about how you didn't you didn't want a baby to be given to you and then taken away. That's why you didn't do foster care. I mean, there is a huge need for that too, but I understand yeah. really truly believing that this is going to work out, trusting God, having those prayers and those those questions and just being totally at peace. I think it's probably the best decision to have that, those papers signed before. I, I feel like that makes a lot of sense because as you said too, there's a lot of feelings that you all have and have to process through. Can, right. you know, you don't want people making a, a decision on a whim the day before or the day after, because that could be really, really tough for everybody. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you guys got home and your family met him. I'm sure your whole family's so proud of you and have fallen in love with him. What yeah, does that look oh. like now? Having him just around. I mean, you guys are a family of five now. Are you gonna adopt more kids? Are you guys <laughs> I I wish when Isaiah was three months old, I looked at Matt. I remember we were in our living room and we were just all hanging out and I looked at Matt and I go, I would do this again in a heartbeat. Matt, I would probably already have the process started again. He's like, yeah, and we just look at each other, but it's too expensive. It's horrible. Yeah. Isn't it? Oh, it's just yeah. horrible. Yeah, um, it's like it makes sense, right, for them to make sure that you have enough money to give this baby a good life. But, mm -hmm. but yeah, it's like, what is what is the give and take there? Why is it so hard? Have they explained the yeah. reasoning behind that? Um, so there's a lot of people and I'm so bad when it comes to these terms and, and things like that, but there's a lot of people in the adoption community who are going to our legislature and they're trying to reduce the costs and the fees because don't get me wrong. Agencies need to be paid. All of right. these professionals who are working, they need to be paid. But I will say the amount of money that adoptive families pay to these agencies 
it's unbelievable. It's absolutely unbelievable. And don't get me wrong. There are some agencies that like that do private adoptions where it's not as expensive, but you might be waiting longer. There's a lot right. of different avenues and there is some really good positive things out there. A lot of people choose to do fundraisers. We did not do that. And so I think that's probably why it was harder for us because it was like, oh, just coughing up all this extra money where, I mean, we didn't plan to have these failed matches like I talked about, but that means that more money is out of your pocket. Sure, sure. Um, yeah, so with every profile book that you're sending out, you're also paying the money to have them look at your profile, like your folder? No, not, not then, but if you are matched, then you do, when you match with a birth mom, then I can't say this true for every situation, but in most, most times you do have to pay a certain amount of money when you match because that money is given towards certain things. And with our yeah. agencies, some of that money was helping our birth mom with rent or whether it was for maternity clothes or food. It, it's not a lot of money, but it does go to, to making sure that she um, is being taken care of. Sure. Sure. Okay. Yeah. So, so now we're like kind of getting to the end here, Ashlyn. I don't want to keep you too long over time. I know we have about 10 minutes left. Um, what has Isaiah taught you? What has Isaiah taught Matt? Um, and what, what is, yeah, I'll just stop there and let you answer mm -hmm. that one. Um, oh, Isaiah is, well, number one, he is so adorable. I just can't. I look at him and I'm just like, oh my gosh, there's certain days. And, and Autumn says it too. She's been saying it more lately. She's seven, but she's swear she's going on 17. And she's just so, she's just such a deep thinker. And sometimes she'll just look at him in his high chair and say, mom, you know what? I just, I can't believe he's ours. I can't believe he's really here. And so it's, it's fun to watch that through her eyes, but he's just taught us that you know, love knows no boundaries, absolutely no boundaries. Yeah. Um, yeah. Our, it, yeah. It just amazes me how God can use such pain and hurt and make it into such beauty. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree with you. I 100% agree with you. And like you said, our faith is something we are going to, figure out our whole lives like you are not done going through challenges and neither am I you know but it's the grace and the love that God has given us that we are in turn able to give other people and I think these stories are the type of stories that we need to share because I think of all the kids out there that could have really good homes you know if we yeah. keep talking about adoption and about privilege and about um mm -hmm. you know all of those things because they there's there are horrible things in our world that we can't control right but again right. what you're doing for this family for this birth mom and for for her son you are giving a gift to a child who needed it and it's just it's absolutely inspiring um, I'm so happy for you guys I'm amazed I'm excited to maybe talk to you again in the future if you guys decide to adapt again um, I think it's going to be really fun Ashlyn for you guys too to look back on this and be like, wow, that's where we were all those years ago. And you're never going to forget this stuff, right? But like, right. I, I think there's something really powerful about sharing your story and, and being able to process it. As you know, you said 
counseling is so important. Yeah. What does your, what does that look like now? Looking back at everything you said in the beginning of our interview, um, do you still see your therapist? How often do you see her? What types of things are you guys working through now? Um, All of those things are really, really important for our listeners to hear because it's a journey. Mm -hmm. No one's perfect. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm not seeing the same therapist that I was because we moved, but I I do see somebody here in town and she's phenomenal. Um, I'm just such a thinker and a processor. Um, Everything in our life, I think you need to talk to somebody else about it, about your marriage, about your faith, about your kids, just being a, a parent in general. Good Lord, that just deserves somebody to talk to. Especially yeah. in quarantine times like this. I stay home and I I go to the grocery store like once a week. That's what I do. Yeah, I know. So exciting, right? I know. It's yeah. like the funnest, funnest trip of the whole week is the grocery store these days. But it has yeah. somehow taught us to be, you know, humble at home and really focus on the relationships that we have under our own roofs. It's, it's, it's so painful, but it's also really beautiful. I'm, I'm, I'm finding and being able to have these conversations with you and other people for the podcast. So, um, Mm -hmm. gosh, so do you think now going through as far as postpartum goes, going back to that, is that something because you went through it with your first child, is that something that you are more susceptible or likely to have with other babies down the road if you were to have a child? Do you know as um, far as the statistics go with that? You know, I don't know the, st- the statistics to it, but when we lived in Wisconsin, I did talk to my doctor about it, and he told me, I don't know. I'd have to do some more research with it. I don't know if there's something that, like, you would label me as, but he said that there's a very small percentage of women out there is after that they give birth, their hormones just get so out of whack with the depression and everything like that, um, that it happens, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And I kind of wish there was a term to it. So then we could talk about it, it more. Like I said, I had my pregnancy and my labors were a breeze, like the kind of stuff where people would be like, "Ugh, I hate you. Yeah. Yeah. Like <laughs> you, know? you were only sick for a week and you slept well. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. And I didn't even do any of that. Like I didn't even puke. Not one time. It, it was just crazy. But what I experienced afterwards, it was like, how in the world does, does this happen? But luckily, I mean, I think that if I wasn't in therapy, I totally could have been in that dark place again with Sienna, but luckily I had my resources and I used them. Um, but again, if anybody is feeling anything, just seek out to somebody. It doesn't need to be a therapist right away, but just, you're not alone and you're going to get through this, but it's okay. And I did not have to take medication but if you do, that's okay. If you need something to help with that, that's totally fine. I remember years ago talking with another mom and she felt judged because she had to take medication and to help with her anxiety because she wasn't sleeping. And she's like, I feel bad because you didn't have to do it. And I, I don't feel as strong as you. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's the yeah. enemy speaking lies into us right there. That's what he wants you to think. Um, so all of our, you know, it's one category, but all of us look so different under that category. But at the end of the day, we're all in it together and just seeking help, whatever that looks like to you is that's the best way. 
Yeah, I 100% agree. People say that stuff to me too, or they'll say like, oh, I shouldn't complain about my back or I shouldn't complain about getting sick because look at, like, look at you, you have to deal with being in a chair and having a disability in your life, which turns everything upside down. And I always stop them and I'm like, I know you feel like entitled to that. And I, I appreciate you, you know, saying that my struggle has been hard because it has. But I said, what I have been through is nothing that you've experienced. So how can I ever say that what I have gone through is harder than what you have? I mean, like you said, Ashlyn, there's so much pain and hurt in this world. And we do, we have to do the best we can be open to resources, be open to getting help, knowing that we're not alone. Those are, Mm -hmm. those are beautiful things. And so kind of as we're going out of our interview here, um, does challenge scare you um, over the past, when did you and Matt get married again? What year? Um, We got married in 2011. 2011. So you guys are coming up on 10 years together. How has God shaped your acceptance or um, allowing challenge to come over you and to stay positive? How, how has he, how has he worked through you with that over the last 10 years? Again, losing your father, finding new life in Isaiah, forgiveness, love. I mean, can you just talk a little bit about that? How you would summarize challenge to inspire other people to push forward through tough times? Um, I think the biggest thing is when it comes down to it for me, God is the only stable thing in my life. Everything else can be wishy-washy up and down, but God has been the true source and the foundation of my life because everything that he has said and everything that he does and his promises are, they don't change. And it's like, I, my feelings and my emotions and the idols that I have in my life, it's crazy. They're always changing. I mean, I'm such a hot mess like every other day. And if I did not have the grace of God, I would be even more of a hot mess. Yeah. Um, one thing that I did want to talk about is when I, when we were going through that really hard year of the failed matches, um, I had I came to one of my lowest points, but God restored me in a way that I will never be able to fully describe in a book that I found great comfort in is called suffering. And it's by Paul David Tripp. I don't know if you've heard of it. I've heard of him and I've heard of that book and I've heard really good things about it. And I really need to read it. It's on my list. And now I'm going to move it to the top since you've. Yeah. So I'll show you. So this is the book. (laughs) Um, But is it okay? I'll just go. Can I just share something from the book? Please do. Girl, okay. you you go for it. I will talk to you for another hour if we have it. Okay. I um I'm only gonna be able to talk for like five more minutes, but I just want to share something. Fine. So Paul David Tripp is just a phenomenal author. He's probably one of the best that I've ever read. But every page, it's like you read every page and you're just going like this throughout the whole thing. And he he just makes you understand the gospel and what Jesus wants for your life and just uh, a profound way, but he talks about suffering um, throughout the whole book. But um, one thing, three different points that he talks about, one of the points is how suffering has the power to to destroy our self-reliance. Suffering has the power to expose our self-righteousness. And suffering has the power to lay waste to our idols. 
And so a lot of times when we're going through really hard things, we turn to other things. If we don't have God as the source of our, you know, he's, he's our one true source. And so for me, I have other idols, just like we all do. And I'm just going to share this really brief paragraph here about how we are to lay waste to our idols. It says, suffering has a way of exposing what's really dear to us, what we feel we can't live without, and what truly rules our hearts. It's not just that what we're going through is painful, but also that we've lost what was what was giving us value and worth. Suffering exposes the inadequacy of hooking our hope to, to temporary treasures of the created world and positions our heart to hook our hope to the creator in ways we've never done before. Are you looking gratefully for the ways that God will use what's very hard to produce, what's very good in you? Yeah, that's beautiful. So, yeah, we're human. The pressures we put on ourselves are not how God sees us. You know, he sees past all of that. And suffering, it, suffering is so ugly. It, it but it's also really beautiful what it can teach us, you know? So, yeah. And kind of going back to you, what you were saying, because of what you've been through in, in your chair and things like that, how people can start to take what they're going through and look at other people like, well, I can't complain because she has it way worse than I do and things like that. Um, envy, pride, and all of that kind of stuff. It can just tear anybody down no matter what. And so, yeah. Yeah. Surrounding yourself with good people and, and being open to, uh, you know, some kind of faith, I think is really powerful. God has given me more hope in the last six years, Ashlyn, than he has my whole life. <laughs> and suffering has come with that. Absolutely. So thank you for sharing your story. I'm super excited about it. Um, if you want to, do you want to give any plugs for anyone? If anyone reaches out to me and wants to ask you a question, do you want people to be able to have your email or should I keep that private and just forward them to you? No, I would love to. I'm more than happy to share my email. That's absolutely fine. Okay. What is your email? It's Ashlyn, A-S-H-L-A-N dot C-A-R-N-E-L at Gmail. All right. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for being on. Do you want to recommend any other resources here last minute for anyone thinking about adoption or wanting to find resources? What are a couple of websites or books you would recommend people look up? Yeah, I think if people are interested in adop adoption, they should check out their state and local resources first, especially um, if they want to look into starting a home study. And that can look different in every state. But if anybody's curious, like, I don't even know where to get started. Happy to talk with you about that um looking into different avenues and praying about international adoption foster care domestic adoption um one of my favorite bloggers her name is shay shawl she has a blog called mix and match mama um she lives in texas as well but she has a really really fun blog but she has two biological kids and adopted her two girls but she has now started um a group an adoption group called Mix and Match Adoption Group on Facebook. And that is a great place for people to go to talk, to connect about anything adoption related. I have seen almost every question I could even imagine asking on that page. Yeah, that's awesome. What a great resource too, because you're hearing it from people who are actually going through it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Ashlyn. Because okay. 
Yeah, I just feel like my podcast is ready for your episode. I want to. I want to hear. I want people to hear about your faith and how God has really pulled you through really dark times because um, I think it's a story we should just keep talking about because you don't hear about people going through life and, you know, coming out on the other side and remaining hopeful. So thank you for sharing that and being so vulnerable. I really appreciate it. Yeah, you're really welcome. Um, I have to tell you that um, after we brought Isaiah home, there were so many people that wanted to hear his story and I wasn't ready to share it yet. And even months after, I didn't know. I'm like, I know I'm ready to share a story in a way. I just don't know how yet to a larger like audience. So I'm just so grateful that when you brought it up, I was like, okay, this is how I'm going to first like publicly talk about it. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, thank you Exciting. for being on. Seriously, I'm super blessed to have your story too. And to be um, in this place where I can interview people and collect stories, I feel very humbled and I'm just excited to see what God does with this too. So yeah, it's almost like you were just saying, send me, I don't know what baby you're going to give me, but send me, you know, <laughs> yeah. it's really amazing. Tell Matt, thank you. I really appreciate you taking extra time. Yep. I will. All Thanks right. so much. Yeah. Bye Ashlyn. God bless you. Bye. Thanks. You bye. too. This has been Push Diaries Podcast. Please visit our website at pushdiariespodcast.com to see our mission and learn more about the guests. This is your podcast too. I want to hear your stories. Email me at pushdiariespodcast at gmail.com and consider supporting the show by going to patreon.com forward slash pushdiariespodcast. Thank you for listening.